This is MSCI Perspectives, your source for weekly research insights as investors respond to the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm your host, Adam Bass, and today is December 3rd, 2020. This week, it's true what they say, there is no place like home. When it comes to investing, though, a home bias can leave a world of opportunity out of investors' portfolios, literally. Raina Oberoi, head of Index Solutions Research for the Americas, explains. Raina, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Adam. You were actually one of the first guests that we had on Perspectives um, back when we weren't at all sure how long any of this was going to last. It was still very early on in the pandemic. New York City, where you and I both live, uh, and many other cities for that matter, were locked down. As we speak, unfortunately, cases have picked up again around the world. And in fact, as we were talking before we started recording, New York City public schools have been shuttered again. But I have to say, to me, it doesn't feel good, but it it feels different nine months later. You know, if you're lucky enough to be healthy, employed, have a roof over your head, you adapt. I was curious if, if you're feeling that way as well and how you and your family have somehow adapted or even changed your expectations for what normal means. Yeah, Adam, I, I, I clearly recall when I was you know, on this episode a while ago, I think it was in March. And um, I remember at that time, my biggest concern was getting to a hair salon. But uh, you know, today it's obviously <laughs> different. Um, and you're right, we're all creatures of habit. And it's funny that you actually mentioned the New York City public schools uh, shuttering because um, my son actually is a second grader at a New York City public school. And I surprisingly reacted uh, to the news of uh, schools closing um, a lot more calmly this time than I did back in March. So, you know, I do think that we all evolved and adapted and what's normal continues to evolve for me and my family. So when it comes to investing, though, during the pandemic and surprises there, you were on a panel recently and I heard you talking about the outperformance of global companies versus a purely domestic focused company here in the U.S. What specifically did you see there? Sure. Um, Adam, I think, you know, the the first we need to iron out is really the definition. So, you know, what we may classify um, as the U.S. company just based on its location um, actually may not be a U.S. company and actually becomes a global company if it generates uh, its revenues from multiple countries and regions. And I think this bifurcation is important for investors, um, you know, who may be thinking that they are actually investing in U.S. companies only, but that may not be entirely true. Now, there are a couple of examples um, where you can see this play out. And based on this, um, you know, we can say that in many cases, global companies have outperformed uh, the more domestic-oriented companies. So firstly, if you actually look at you know, companies with majority of their revenues coming internationally or outside their domestic market, and by majority, I say you know, excess of 25%, these group of companies actually have um, outperformed companies uh, where most of the revenues are coming from their domestic market. And we saw this in particular through the crisis in the first quarter of 2020. And so the pandemic actually has been a good test uh, to see whether these global companies tend to be more resilient because the revenue streams are more diversified globally. Now, let's say you are an investor and you want to invest only in U.S. companies and do not want to take an international view the reality is that you really are exposed to uh, the world beyond the U.S. Now, if you take 
for example, the MSCI USA index and screen for companies that get majority of uh, their revenue from the US and then take that same index and screen for companies that get majority of the revenue from emerging markets. You will see that the ones that are more exposed to emerging markets or getting the revenue from emerging markets have actually outperformed for the last um, couple of years. So again, you know, the underlying universe here in both cases is the US, but it's really not binary whether you want US exposure or non-US exposure. It's very interesting, especially considering the theme, and this leads to that, that you and your team have been looking at around the idea of the US investor and home bias, right? Buying investments that are, or at least to the point that you just made, they believe are exposing them to companies and revenues in the US exclusively. Sure. I mean, firstly, I think just broadly speaking, everyone um, has touted the benefit of um, international investing as diversification. But the question really is, if you know, if uh, you are a U.S. investor and we've seen that the U.S. have performed global equities the last few years, you know, why should you look outside? I think it's a it's it's a way of thinking that you know my home uh, market or my domestic market has given me the returns I want. The MSCI USA index has about give or take six hundred securities. It's a fairly diversified pool, so it's not like you're you know in a concentrated market, and you've gotten the returns that you want. So what's the reason to look outside? I think. If you look one level deeper at the top 10 assets of the MSCI USA index, they account for 26% of that index. And that is the highest it's been in about two decades. Now, if you take that same measure and look outside the US and look at the MSCI World X US index, you will see that the top 10 assets actually account for about 11% of that index. So you can see that there is a more balanced pool of securities outside the U.S. in that index as opposed to in the U.S. where just a few names are really driving the market as opposed to the broader market. So again, the idea is that if these pool of securities do not continue their run, does that actually put the entire U.S. market in jeopardy? The second reason I would say is, uh, you know, something that we are seeing more and more is, and you may have heard this term a lot, uh, is thematics or what some people call megatrends. Now, as you are aware, MSCI does have uh, thematic indexes, and really what these indexes are, um, are designed to provide investors um, opportunity to benefit from long-term structural trends. And I think the important part here is, uh, you know, everyone may define a certain theme or think one theme is important than the other. The crucial part is that thematic investing is not sector investing, it's not ESG investing, it's not factor investing. It's its own unique crucial lens which can give um, investors insights into how companies are going to change their business models and value chain, and how can investors capture these longer-term structural growth opportunities. Can you give us an example? So, you know, let's say you just want to invest in the U.S., and, uh, you know, U.S. is obviously a very innovative country. There's a lot of innovation happening here. Some of the themes that you would get exposed to primarily are internet innovation, cybersecurity, genomics, etc., what you would not get exposed to as much would be themes like efficient energy or smart cities or future mobility, which are themes that are more prominent outside the U.S. And then the last point really is um, sustainability. And, you know, before we got into this crisis, you know, everyone still knew about environmental, social and governance characteristics and in investment portfolios. But the general understanding was that, you know, 
ESG strategies or ESG characteristics can help mitigate some element of risk. And it was really that. I think what the crisis has shown us that ESG strategies, not only you know, in one particular market, but globally, have in general suffered less drawdowns compared to the underlying markets. So the crisis actually have, has been a good test for such strategies. It's interesting on a few of those points, when you talk about the top 10 names in the MSCI USA index, one of the issues is that you're more exposed to maybe even just a handful of companies in the U.S. when that's not your intent. And there have been many stories about a handful of stocks, technology stocks, the FANG stocks, or sometimes the FANG stocks, not sure how to pronounce that when Microsoft is in the mix, driving a lot of this rally. Is that some of what you're seeing as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the usual suspects, right? Um, uh, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, Alphabet, so whether you call them technology or communication services, um, all these stocks are really the ones that are driving a lot of the returns in the U.S. market. And for all of these aspects that you mentioned, whether thematics, sustainability, or index concentration, is it even valid to still look at the world as U.S. and non-U.S.? Or as you alluded to, has the scope of opportunity and perhaps more importantly, how investors construct their portfolios, has that evolved beyond that way of thinking? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, um, you know, it's still it's still relevant that U.S. investors in general um, do tend to overallocate to their, you know, U.S. piece of the pie, as I would say. And, you know, I think for that, I always say that, you know, if history is any lesson for us, there have been times where obviously the U.S. has outperformed, like we've seen, or any market has outperformed. But there have been times for long periods where um, the U.S. has trailed um, international markets. And, you know, something that, again, puts things in perspective is that given the U.S. rally and, you know, its uh, stocks have obviously uh, had a good run. Um, if you look at the weight of North America or North American companies in global equity, um, you know, it's in terms of market cap, it's at 60 percent of the MSA all country world index, the Acqui index. Right. So you would say, look, I have I'm just investing in 60 percent of the world already. But if you actually take that same logic and apply in terms of revenue, those same companies actually only produce 30 percent of the revenues generated by all companies in the Acqui index. So you'd be missing out on these these sources of revenue, which makes which makes total sense. I'm wondering, do you see the same kind of home bias from investors in other countries, or is this a uniquely U.S. way of looking at the world? Yeah, I mean, I don't see we don't see as much of a home bias. I think it's particularly pronounced in the U.S. and uh, you know it's a lot again a lot to do with what we spoke about earlier. Um, U.S. has had a great run. It is a fairly uh, big pool of securities to pick from. Um, so there's less reason for U.S. investors to really look outside. And, and keeping our focus there around the world, it's kind of tough to talk about the idea of globalization, investing globally, without talking about the deglobalization movement, whether it's the election of so-called populist leaders or protests outside gatherings such as the World Economic Forum, there's some sense of a dissatisfaction with the idea of globalization itself. Any thoughts there? I definitely think that deglobalization, um, as we call it, is detrimental for many reasons that we've discussed and will you know, hurt growth if we work in silos. But there are two camps here. 
you know, some believe that um, this uh, this crisis has actually accelerated deglobalization. So the idea is that, you know, there will probably be companies that will want to be more self-reliant, will try to um, rely on production at home as opposed to internationally. There will be governments who will impose restrictions on flow of goods and information. And maybe there are investors who will be convinced um, or asked to reduce their international uh, portfolio allocation. So all of that could very well happen. But there is another side to the story as well, which I actually um, strongly believe in, is that this pandemic can actually be a, a strong case for globalization. Now, we are obviously all fighting this virus together um, for a long time, and we'll be fighting it in the near future, at least, if not in the, in, in the long term. But that's not possible for one country to do. Uh, similarly, if you think about yet another pandemic, which is climate change, um, that's impossible for one country to uh, tackle. It has to be a coordinated response across countries, across geographies, across governments. And this collective action is the only way we could fight um, a virus or we could fight climate change. So that for me is actually a very profound uh, um, structural way of looking at why globalization actually uh, will strengthen and the case for that uh, will continue to uh, convince people that this is the way we want to go. And as you mentioned earlier, whether we want to be, we are at this point all connected, whether it's in terms of fighting a disease or in terms of how companies make their money across the world. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, Raina, thank you so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure. Thanks, Adam. That's all for this week. Our thanks to Raina and to all of you for joining us. Be sure to join us next week when we'll continue our global focus. We talk Chinese corporate bonds with friend of the program, Andy Sparks. Remember, it takes just a moment to subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment, or share with a friend. Until next week, I'm your host, Adam Bass, and this is MSCI Perspectives. Stay safe, everyone.